0: Welcome, everyone, to our Shawnee Mission School Board of Education meeting for April 8th. Thank you for being here today. Our first order of business is the Pledge of Allegiance, and we welcome the John Deemer Eagles here to help us with the Pledge of Allegiance. Please stand. To the flag of the United States of America,
1: and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all.
0: Thank you so much. And Mr. Shackelford, would you like to have them introduce themselves?
2: I think that would be great. We're going to have... Uh, okay. so we're just going to have everybody circle around and just introduce them, themselves, first and last name guys. And then if you
0: want to, you can share something that you love about DEMER. Okay? Who wants to go first? And you, you might need to move first. that mic down too if you're going to... <laughs> there you go. Step up to the podium. Come on.
3: Jackie yes. DeJong, and I love about Dina making new friends.
0: Thank you.
4: I'm Isabelle DeYoung and I like how the kids are so caring and kind.
5: Great. I'm Danaya Threat and I like how we build a community with one another.
6: My name's Seven Donovan, and I like my teachers.
5: Thanks. My name is
2: Maggie Montgomery, and I like how everybody's kind and we are a good community. Thanks. My name is Josie Barker, and I like how it's basically one big family. My name is Lexi Johnson, and the thing that I love about Deemer is making new friends. My name is Caitlin Wiseman, and one thing I love about Deemer is every student has an equal
6: opportunity to do well.
1: My name is Omle Power, and I like how we have
6: lots of fun. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Luke Woods, and what I like about Deemer is that the teachers are so fun, and they just... They're really nice.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Hi, my name is Kyla Campbell, and what I like most about John Deemer is
2: we have really fun field trips and all the wonderful teachers.
7: Hi, I'm Avery McKenna, and what I like about John Deemer is how nice the teachers are.
0: Great. Thank you all for being here. And like I told Mr. Shackelford, you're more than welcome to stay the whole meeting if you'd like. (laughs) However, I feel like the weather's pretty nice outside and... (laughs) I tried.
7: Thank 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 you.
0: I'd also like to take a moment and welcome any students that we have here that are part of a class that they're taking. I happen to know that we have some fellows over here from Rockhurst if you want to stand up and say hello. Uh, Five gentlemen from Rockhurst that are part of a civics class and they've attended a Prairie Village City Council meeting and now they're here to to witness a Shawnee Mission School Board meeting. So welcome. Any other uh, students here? (laughs) Oh, here they come. And they have to stay to the end before they get their signed. Welcome. Usually at this time we get uh, a room full because people have put it off till late in the semester. So <laughs> glad to have you here. With that, we'll move to the items on the agenda. The first item is the adoption of the agenda for tonight's meeting.
1: I move adoption.
0: Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Zela. All those in favor of adopting the agenda as presented, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. We move on to the minutes of our meetings. The first one is the special meeting of March 25th. I seek a motion. Move approval. Thank you, Mrs. Mack. Thank you, Mrs. Owsley. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. That's 7-0. We move on to the minutes of the regular meeting from March 25th. Move approval. Thank you, Ms. Dr. Sinclair. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. With that, we move on to Section 2 of the agenda, and the first up is the superintendent's report. Dr. Fulton.
6: Thank you, and good evening. Our first, uh, our first good news item of note is in regards to the Shawnee Mission School District and Health Partnership Clinic, which recently celebrated a year of providing health services through a school-based clinic at Merriam Park Elementary School. They celebrated with an all-school birthday party at Marion Park, and this is the first school-based clinic in Johnson County. It provides health care, dental care, and behavioral health care to all Shawnee Mission students and their siblings two days a week. For information about hours of operation and how to make an appointment, uh, that's all available on the district website, and we're going to provide a link to that in the board recap. It was a great celebration. I had an opportunity to go, and the, the kids had a lot of children and a lot of fun with a celebration. We thank all of our partners for their great work. We also want to celebrate Wyatt Boyd, an eighth grader at Hocker Grove Middle School, who was declared the state champion at the Kansas State GOB for the second year in a row. He was presented with a $1,000 prize and was invited to compete in the National Championship B, held in May in Washington, DC. Boyd's social studies teacher is Patty Winkler. Congratulations, both to Uh, Wyatt and to Ms. Winkler. Shawnee Mission students demonstrated scientific strength at this year's 2019 Kansas-Nebraska-Oklahoma Regional Junior Science and Humanities Symposium. Peyton Panovic, a Shawnee Mission West senior and a biotechnology student, earned first place recognition, a $2,000 scholarship, and qualified to present research at the National Junior Science and Humanities Symposium, which will be held later this month in New Mexico. Elizabeth Faulkner, a Shawnee Mission East junior and also a biotechnology student, was selected to present a research poster at the National Symposium. Studi Dallal, a Shawnee Mission East senior, was named a finalist and was invited to the National Symposium to moderate presentations and present her research. Miles Martin, a Shawnee Mission East Science teacher, was presented with the Teacher Award to honor educational excellence in STEM. So I want to thank all of our students um, along with Mr. Martin for uh, just outstanding accomplishments. The Shawnee Mission School District Family and Student Services Department will be hosting a spotlight on student wellness event this week. The district has partnered with several area agencies. To provide resources and information to parents and caregivers, the event will be held from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. on Wednesday, April 10th, at Shawnee Mission Northwest High School. The event is free and open to all parents, guardians, and care providers. Attendees are asked to RSVP to reserve child care, and there's going to be a link to RSVP and to find out more information, and that too will be included on the board recap. That kind of uh, highlights our are key events in the district, but we had a very big event in the state that happened recently, as you know. This weekend, Governor Laura Kelly signed Senate Bill 16, the school finance bill, which provides approximately $90 million in new education funding in order to meet the adequacy requirement of the Kansas Constitution. According to the Kansas Department of Education, when the new funding from SB 16 is combined with previously enacted funding increases, the Shawnee Mission School District can expect approximately 9.8 million in funding to our general fund account, and you can see that general fund account circled on the slide. That that's our operating fund. It is important to remember a couple of things as we uh, as we reflect on this uh, these finances that the legislature and governor provided, and uh, part of that is is that. Uh, Next year, you know, the funding increase that we see, that we're going to realize, comes on the heels of a long period of inadequate funding, not just in Shawnee Mission, but really across the state of Kansas. The current school funding lawsuit began in 2010 and was prompted by budget cuts that started in 2008. As we plan forward, some of our resources are going to need to be dedicated to begin to recover from those previous shortfalls. This school year, we've worked hard at providing you with regular updates and projections on our financial situation and shared with you some of the actions that we've taken to adjust to these budget challenges. As an example, you know, we've shared the $1 million uh, in cuts to Title I funding that Shawnee Mission has experienced and the changes that we're making in response to those cuts. Those cuts were achieved, that $1 million in cuts was achieved in part through administrative restructuring and cost savings over a two-year period. As a result, we were able to preserve existing social workers and instructional coaches at schools that will no longer qualify as title schools. And we did that by shifting funding from the Title I budget to the operating budget. That was an important first step. We've also talked about other items that are extremely important to this board, including uh, thinking about the provision of additional social worker positions in order to support the social and emotional needs of our students. There are also, as you know, ongoing costs associated with district budget. They include new or reallocated positions, increased costs to health insurance, transportation, and utilities, along with new costs for supplies and services, which when you take all those and put them together, that's about 3.5 million. We're going to be presenting a more detailed financial update at the next board meeting on April 22nd, but with all of that, we do want to, again, take time to thank the legislature and the governor for the additional resources the district will receive, and uh, we'll keep you updated as we move forward in planning for the um, 2019-2020 school year. How's that? (laughs) Thank you. That concludes my report. Thank
0: you, Dr. Fulton. And with that, we'll move on to uh, item 2.02, and that is our update on the strategic planning that's taking place.
6: Yes, and I'll I'll go to the podium for this. This will be a brief presentation. As as shared at our last board meeting, we are in the process of working with action planning teams to identify uh, specific strategies that will be helpful as we uh, implement the beliefs, mission, objectives, and parameters of our strategic plan. All of this fits really nicely into expectations of all Kansas school districts. And that expectation is is that as school districts, we will plan for improvement in student learning outcomes. You see that represented in this slide. We're following under the uh, KISA model, a continuous improvement process where last year, we spent time identifying needs. This year, we're going through the process of determining our goals. That's true for uh, district and building uh, uh, site councils, district level and building level site councils, as well as uh, improvement teams. But importantly, we're doing value added, an important value added piece, which is we're going through our own strategic planning process, which will directly support KISA goals and objectives. As we go through this work this year, We spent a lot of time providing uh, district-level data. That has been the foundation of our work. As we go into next year, we're going to spend time really looking at district and building-level data that helps to inform improvement on the three objectives that have been identified in our strategic plan. Now, I want to speak about that a little bit. As we go into this data work... There's a good deal of foundation that needs to be laid in order to use data effectively in the continuous improvement process. We have, through the use of district-level data, identified the need to focus on improving outcomes for all students. We see disparity in our data, and we want to address that. As we go into next year, we'll begin to drill down uh, into building-level data that will include both those will include academic as well as social and emotional indicators of which discipline data is one in order to get ready for that we're in the process of identifying research protocols that will be important to the public sharing of any data here's what i mean by that when you share information in the public you have to be extraordinarily careful that you do so in a way that does not violate individual rights. You will have, we will have, in some cases, schools with very low numbers of students in some of the disaggregated groups. We have to have research protocols in place to make sure that we don't do anything to inadvertently identify a student just through um, having a very small in. So we're going to go through the process of uh and have been going through the process of identifying What are good research protocols when you're sharing data in public? How do we make sure that we protect student rights in that process? How do you use data to inform the improvement process and make good decisions? Some of those decisions take place at the classroom level as you work with individual student data. Others occur across teams of teachers, maybe math teachers at the secondary level, grade level teachers at the elementary level. You have to have protocols in place. We're establishing those protocols through our, uh, our PLCs. And then the, the final piece is, is you also have to really begin to work with site councils in a way that is helpful as you think about big picture school issues. How are we doing as a school? How are we doing with all students? How are we doing with disaggregated students? How do we use this data to inf- and research to inform next steps in learning in this place that we call school? So I want to make you aware of that, that there's, there is a good deal of data work that needs to be done both in the uh, appropriate use of, of that data, but also uh, collecting that data and reporting it in meaningful ways. We'll be working on that. we are start working on that now. We'll work on that through the summer so that we're, pre- we're prepared when school starts in the, in the fall to really use that data effectively. Do you have any questions for me? Questions for Dr. Fulton? Yes, Dr. Sinclair.
5: Um, thank you for that um, overview. Um, is Do you have a, a sense of um, kind of thinking about what data we have available? How much enrichment of the kinds of metrics that we're collecting? You know, are we looking, do we have the majority of the information we need to make kind of more um, informed decisions as we're going forward? Or are we going to be building more information, more um, proactive kinds of um, benchmarks.
6: Sure. Every school district has lots of data. Mm-hmm. The challenge is to use it meaningfully mm-hmm. and also to get it, use it in a way that's timely in the decision-making process. Uh, we, we currently do not have a data warehouse. That's important. You, know, you have to have a way to collect the data, create data dashboards, kind of look real-time at what's happening. You have to make sure that the data that you're looking at is clean, which means uh, is consistently collected and reported in the right ways. That's a lot easier when you're looking at academic data where there's a third party, for example. State test data is relatively easy, right? You take the test, it goes to the state, they report the data back. And so there it is. Any data that is collected at the school level and self-reported is always, uh, always has a tendency to have human error involved. Oftentimes, that's not intentional. It's just difficult to make sure that you have continuity in the way in which data is reported. And so that's work that has been going on, and we're still working on trying to get our data collection, process, collection and reporting process clean enough to where we feel like the data that we do have is useful. And so that's, that's work that will never end, but you want to get your data to a point where you feel like it's actually clean and usable uh, so you can actually make good decisions with the data that you have. So we have work to do. Some of that work will be done in preparation for next year. I will be honest with you, some of this is going to take a while. For example, you don't just drop a data warehouse or some solution like that into a system. You have to identify uh, what that warehouse is going to look like. You have to design the data dashboards that go with it. That is realistically 18 to 24 month work. Now, there's things you do in the meantime. You don't stop and you do use data, but it, it becomes more robust as you start to have the systems in place to help you work with data more effectively. Mrs. Ousley.
7: So, um, just for clarification purposes, because you're, you, you sound really smart like an academic, and for the average parent, sure. I think the impression is that, you know, like some of the systems we have in place, for example, Skyward, that it just has it already, and it's just an issue of going in and printing it out. And it's not that there isn't information available. It's just that because there isn't a uniform process for how certain things are reported in each building, you, you aren't looking at something in a uniform way that's meaningful to build data sets out of because of the way Skyward is set up. So just to clarify, there's not a, oh, we can just go in and print everything off of Skyward and that's uniform and meaningful because it's not, because it, the human error, it's not that it's error, it's just that there's variation in each building and it's not uniform throughout. Am I saying this in English in a way the that's way- understandable?
6: Yeah, simply put, the way that our data is put together right now in the district is extraordinarily cumbersome. And when you look at the depth and breadth of the data that we deal with, and we're talking huge files, right? Lots of data. So we have to begin, so we have to, begin to identify strategies where we can pull all that data together, make sure that that data is accurate and then use it in a way that's meaningful for school improvement. But you're right. I mean, it's 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 kind of spread out among a lot of different sources. And so that's part of what we're trying to do is figure out a good game plan to put together. And we have been working on this, and we'll continue to work on it. What I want to make sure you, that the, the two messages that are important tonight are is that we're committed to doing that work. We're going, to, we're going to do the very best we can to walk into next year to where we can deal with Building level, and data, building level data that's uh, put together in ways that's accurate and appropriate, so we're not getting into any kind of uh, violations of individual student rights. And then, uh, finally, we have some long-term work to do in terms of putting together a, uh, a software strategy, if you will, to get data into one place where we can look at it, ask research questions, and quickly begin to find out answers to those questions. <laughs> That, that, is not, that is not an issue, by the way, that's unique in any way, shape, or form to, to us. That's, 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 a, that's an issue that every district across the country deals with. Some are further along with others and the tools that they've developed to um, effectively work with data.
7: And the building level data, that's for the, those communities to have the benchmark from where they're starting and so that we can track progress as we move forward. Right. And once those are put together that then becomes publicly available information because then a report is completed on that building as long as it's not violating a specific student's rights because you were talking about that low in number what that really means people don't know what in is, is that's a very small population of students and that they could potentially be identified right. with that okay but yeah. just that it's that information is coming and is going to be distributed to buildings i'm presuming late summer, early fall prior to the beginning
6: of the academic well, year? Sure. The, typically what you do is you, you, you have a couple different audiences. One is you want to make sure that obviously principals and teachers have that. They're, they're, they're the first users, right? Mm-hmm. But also other users will be site councils, for example. And so we'll be putting together reports that people can use at their appropriate level. Um, and so that's, that's going to be exciting to, to roll out in the fall. Um, but you, you hit on a key point. This is about continuous improvement. And in order to improve, you have to know where your baseline is. So this year has very much been about establishing our baseline at a district level. Next year, really establishing baselines at the building level. And then from that point on, it's about moving the ball forward in terms of continuous improvement every year. Mrs. is back.
8: Yeah, and just to follow up on that, to think about what it would look like in this district. We're we're familiar with dashboards. Um, we've seen them in other districts. When you think about all of the elementary schools that we have, the, all the middle schools, all the high schools, and then the programs that we have on top of that, um, from Horizons to, you know, here in this building as well, it's going to be interesting, I think, as you go forward to see what um, – how – If the dashboards will have similar features and then possibly unique features based on that building or on that population. But the goal is to have a
6: dashboard for every building and then one for the district. Is that correct? That's what you do with dashboards. I will add this. The first and most important audience is really the learner. Right. And so you build this from the learner up, not from, say, the superintendent down. Because what's most important is does the learner know where they are in the learning process? Where am I academically? Where am I social emotionally? How am I growing? What are the benchmarks that I'm trying to hit? I mean, it's the learner that really is at the center of the data, and then everything flows up from the learner. Right.
0: Other questions from board members? Thank you for the update. Oh, I do have hey, a question. So, where are we on the timeline? So, <clears throat> June 24th, I
6: think, is coming pretty quick. Is it, it is much- coming pretty quick. We action teams will continue to work through May. Uh, according to their schedule. We will then have a report on uh, June 5th from the uh, action teams to the steering committee. The steering committee will meet. At that point, then the steering committee will turn the work over to me. And and in turn, I'll take it to you in the the, uh, June board meeting. So by the time we get through the end of June, we should have a strategic plan in place. Great. Yes, Dr. Sinclair.
5: do you have thoughts about how to think about um, the school finance, the changes in the school finance formula, and the strategic plan? So we have three objectives that have been proposed by the strategic planning committee. We as a board have not had an opportunity really to discuss that or vet that until, until it's gone through the action planning team. I know I've taken a look at that and thought about what was on our wish list that was presented I don't know how long ago, months ago, and kind of what our goals are, and I mean, I don't know if we're going to have a lot this year to work for next year to right. work with, but there are, you know, several more years out in that funding plan. So just
6: well, and so it,
5: thinking, of, I mean, is it?
6: It absolutely does. The strategic plan absolutely does inform and really drive our behavior on all things, including uh, finances. You know, for example, we uh, we've already begun work on. Uh, identifying um, long-term training, uh, of professional development uh, for diversity, and uh, we hope to bring that to the board here in the very near future. That started, uh, well, some time ago, but really uh, it fits beautifully with what's in our strategic plan and draft form. So that's a good example of something that is well underway in terms of thinking about how do we fund uh, high-quality professional development for all staff, all 4,000 staff going forward. That's a good example. And then there'll be others, of course, that will drive that as well. Any other questions? Thank you very much for the update. Thank you.
0: We'll now move on to the uh, board report section. And uh, we have several items here. The first one at the top is um, to ask board members who attended the National School Board Association to provide any updates. it's a rather intensive uh, weekend that we went to a couple weekends ago. Four of uh, three of us, were able to attend. <coughs> Do I have that right? Four of cool. us were able to attend. And so I thought we'd have each of them share a little bit about what they took away from that. And uh, I'll turn to Mrs. Zila with sharing some thoughts on on your experience there and things you brought back
1: Absolutely. There's kind of a kind of a list here that I have from the different sessions that I attended and the speakers that they had at the general sessions. Um, probably my most overriding theme that, and the most impactful to me was talk of competency-based learning, which I know is kind of where we're going. Um, all of the skills and things that they're talking about, and this are within our objectives, so I know we're on the right path. Um, I've got to sit in on a <coughs> district talking about um, they have this in place. They are doing, you know, associate's degree. They get the day after they receive their high school diploma, something that, you know, I know that's on the, on the radar for us to get in place as well, um, for shadowing and interning with businesses so that kids are coming out truly job ready and actually been with an employer that hopefully will sweep them right up and take them as in their workplace there. Um, Very interesting, there was uh, the Society for Human Resources Management, um, the the chair of that, was, was one of our general session speakers and was talking about all the soft skills that they're looking for you know brilliance is great but if you're a jerk we don't want you basically is what he said I believe it was if you're a brilliant jerk sorry but you know if you can work with people if you can have that teamwork if you can have that critical thinking all of which we are trying to encompass with with our learning plans for students that's great. Um, The importance of kindergarten readiness was another session that I attended that was you know hugely important and pointed out again something that we already know truly Um, but about socioeconomic is a factor in that, and kids come at all different levels when they hit kindergarten, so our Jumpstart program is, is wonderful to give those kids you know, an extra leg up as they enter kindergarten. Um, I heard Shane Feldman from Count Me In is the nonprofit that he runs, and if you've heard of Undercover High, that's him. And he actually was in, I think, several different school districts over a few years, and one of them was in Topeka. So he, he looks like about a 12-year-old to me. He's 20-something. Uh, so he blended right in with, with the kids and really kind of tried to figure out what's going on with teens these days. And the things he came, um, came away with as advice to schools was, you know, walk your talk. You know, if you say this is what you're going to do, walk that talk and be present. And that was for teachers, that was for parents, that was for anybody. Kids want to be heard and listened to. So that was, you know, it seems like an obvious thing, but with the, you know, you know, we're on our phone, we're saying, uh-huh, honey, yes, right, but, you know, be present. Um, the ending general session on Monday was Michelle Gay, who was a Sandy Hook mom. Very sobering presentation of, she walked us through the day of the shooting in Sandy Hook and her daughter, she lost a daughter in that shooting, and um, it was very impactful, very powerful speak. Um, One thing I noticed, there were some Kansas school districts that presented at at National School Board Association and I think we have a lot that we could share as well. I think we're well on the way to being, you know, we are a great school district, but we want to get better all the time. We want a constant improvement as Dr. Fulton said earlier. So we're looking for ways, and this is a great way to meet people from North Dakota and Maine and Florida and to see what they're doing and the problems they have, which are the same that we have for the most part. Um, But we're all at different speeds of getting to where that North Star is. So, And I think we're all shooting for that North Star. So it was a great time, plus it was great to be with board members and spend time to kind of you know, without the stress of board stuff going on, to to bond as a board, too. And I think that's an important asset to this. And I hope I didn't steal anybody's thunder. Thank
0: Reverend you. Reverend Guy, thank
6: you.
4: This was my first time to attend the national um, conference. And so the workshops that I selected, over half of the ones I went to were around equity because I wanted to learn from other districts who have been doing this work and have experienced some success with it and see what's working for them. Some of them even have received national attention. In fact, I went to one workshop that was three national award winners, three different districts of different sizes that have been recognized for the work they've been doing in equity. And so it was exciting to hear about some of these programs and get some great ideas for things that other districts are doing. But I also walked away um, from those workshops, I think, with a, a general image of, What's ahead as we continue down this path, and and it's not all encouraging news. Unfortunately, Um, we were talking about data just a minute ago. Many of these programs are still in their infancy; they're in year one, two, or three, and we aren't going to know for another five to ten years how successful these programs are. Some of them are trying to do in, intensive interventions with students in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade in order to get them to the Algebra 2 stage, in order to get them into AP classes into high school, in order to get them into college. And so they're still just working with fourth and fifth graders right now and we're not going to know for a very long time how successful this this program actually is. So, um, So that was kind of sobering that as excited as as I am to jump in and do some of these things. The data isn't there yet um, to know how effective these are going to be. The other sobering thing is that districts that do this intensive focus on equity work obviously can't be doing that intensive focus work in other areas, and that uh, creates some tension within their districts, and so they were just laying that out there for us to be aware of that if, if you're going to do this intensive equity work, you're probably going to hear from people who want you to be doing other intensive focuses that you just you don't have time to do. And the milestones are small. The Des Moines School District um, has been doing amazing work. They were one of the national award winners in the large school district. They have 32,000 students. They uh, have a fantastic coordinator of diversity and equity that's been working for three or four years now uh, doing phenomenal things. And so they asked her what her biggest celebration is so far in her work. And her biggest celebration is that last year, for the first time in decades, their achievement gap didn't grow. And that was the the success. Um, That it didn't grow (laughs) so... Again, that was kind of sobering for me to say, wow, you work at this for three to four years, and that's the result that they're seeing, which is a win um, for them. Um, And one last thing that was sobering to me is that uh, somebody from the audience asked in that workshop with the three award-winning districts what the diversity rate was within their staff, which is something we've talked about at length numerous times. All three districts said... They, uh, they were discouraged, but their staff was still over 90% white with all this amazing diversity work that they've been doing. And so that was sobering for me too and discouraging, quite frankly. So, um, so it was, a, it was a, a mix of being excited by the programs that they're doing, and I'm excited to hear what our action planning teams now are going to bring to us for ways that we're going to um, advance this and put focus on this some intensity on this but I think now my eyes are open that this is gonna we're gonna have to take the long view and this work is going to continue after most of us might not even be on the board anymore Dr. Fulton might retire <laughs> but that work is going to continue and so we have to go into this I think with the long view so I learned a lot it was exhausting <laughs> but um, but really fantastic to hear from these districts that are doing phenomenal things
0: you. Mrs. Owsley.
7: So, uh, I, um, I tried to attend sessions that focused on how to build a positive culture, um, a culture where people are happy and they trust each other and you can, um, when you have those high levels of trust and satisfaction, um, people are more readily able to meet their goals because instead of working against each other, they're all working towards the same objectives. And um, one of the ones that I went to that I thought I really got a lot out of was about it, it was the happiness objective, which sounds really kind of loosey-goosey, um, but it was concrete skill sets for leaders as to build, and they so they provide it to superintendents and cabinets, and then they train all the educators, and the educators bring the skill sets to the kids, and. Um, the guy from Harvard who was giving the presentation has implemented it in a few different districts, one of which was the Flint district. Um, And the superintendent from Flint, it was interesting because she said, you know, whenever anybody finds out I'm the superintendent of Flint, that their initial reaction is, oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) And she takes great offense to that because she has a great district and her kids are doing very well. um, And she said one of the reasons she likes this program is because everybody deserves to have happiness and no matter who you are you should have happiness should be something that you have within your grasp and then another superintendent that spoke was really kind of on the opposite end of the socioeconomic spectrum from flint um wealthier district and he said that one of the reasons they had emphasized building a culture of happiness was because Um, the way we have systems set up right now, we're constantly moving the goal as to when it is that you're allowed to be happy. So we set it up to where, well, you're going to do well in high school so that you can get into a good college, and then once you get into a good college, you're going to do well in college so you can get a good job, and then once you have a good job, then you keep moving the goalposts. And so we've taught ourselves that you basically at the end you're never happy (laughs) because you're not allowed to be happy until you reach whatever your goal is and if the goal keeps moving then you don't ever obtain that and that this is a fundamentally wrong process in that while happiness should be a goal in and of itself happy people are more likely to be successful so if your end goal is success then providing the skill sets for happiness helps you to get there Um, And they, I mean, he laid out certain things on on how you can teach children specifically how to use tools to be happy. And um, the wealthy, the superintendent from the wealthy district said the impacts that rippled out from the district to the community, he said within the first year they had kids performing better and less discipline issues. But by the second year, they could tell a difference in the parents. So what had started with, you know, the leadership team and then had gone to the educators and then had gone to the children and then had gone to the broader community. And one of the things we talk about a lot, or at least we have since I've been on the board, is social um, and mental health issues and how we can best address those needs in our community. So whether or not you're at a lower socioeconomic spectrum or at a higher one these are really valuable skill sets to have that don't just positively impact kids but has the potential to positively impact your entire community and for me what struck me about that is that as someone who's been a public education advocate for many years that kind of goes along with my fundamental belief about what public education is is that it is the foundation for you know, positive growth and success in a community. That's why it's so fundamental to our democracy. So not only can we raise good citizens um, and kids who have a future, um, unlimited future, whatever we put in our vision statement, but that we could potentially also have the opportunity to give them the skill set to be happy and have happiness be an end result of something that a school district did. And I thought that was really powerful. So I went in, the um, very sketchy attorney, and came out like, oh, that was really awesome. So, <laughs> so it worked. And it, was, and it was lovely seeing the people, the districts that were presenting on it, because they really had a... Um, They really had a lovely energy and you could tell they were a team and very positive. Um, And so in any event, I have all of that to provide to everybody here and it was useful and I I really appreciated having the opportunity to go. I really appreciated listening to the Sandy Hook mom speak. Um, One of the fascinating things about that conversation that I didn't even catch during the presentation but caught afterwards as we were discussing as a group, thanks in part to Dr. Atha, pointing it out, um, what she said was when she, she was talking about the victims. And in the classroom where all the students died, there was actually a substitute teacher that day. And it really makes you think about the nature of our district being a system. We are We are operating in a system. And how we create and maintain and implement that system, the processes we put in place for that has such far-reaching consequences. I'm not saying anything with regards to there's no causality there. That's not it. But when there's something in a system that isn't quite what it normally is, you just don't even know how much it can impact an outcome. And so it really hit home for me every single thing that we do dramatically, dramatically impacts a day. And we might not even know it, but for an outside event bringing it to our attention. Um, And obviously in light of current events all over the place, that was a very powerful testimony that she provided. Um, The Sandy Hook children I think would now be teenagers, they would be turning 13. So, thank you.
0: After those wonderful summaries, I'm not sure I should even try to go, but I will. (laughs) Um, I attended uh, many sessions, but I'll, go, I'll be brief. Um, I went to one on strategic planning because uh, that's what we're doing. But what's interesting about it is the presenters were um, a suburban or an uh, inner city, eh, suburban Chicago district and a somewhat suburban uh, St. Louis district. And so they had already shared with us not only the process but the results. And I shared in my notes with the board here. I'll just read these quickly. They, they each talked about kind of the things they anticipated and then the things they were surprised by in the process. And the three concerns that were identified in, in one of the processes that bubbled up that they didn't know that would have as high priority would be, number one, safety, number two, social and emotional well-being, and number three, the effects of social media. So those were some things that bubbled up as priorities. I'm sorry, with concerns. But in the priorities area, they really honed in on a couple of interesting points. And this is a combination of the two districts, and they were the whole child focused education, so the whole child part, the equity focus to the instruction delivery, which we've talked about a couple of times now, the development of a more diverse teaching staff, and again, we've talked about that already, and then optimizing teaching and learning environments for all students. So those were a blend of two districts' priorities that I, I took away from that. Went to a board governance workshop. <clears throat> um, interestingly enough, they were, they were discussing three bold modes of governance. I hadn't seen this dissected like this before, but uh, they had the fiduciary mode, the strategic mode, and the generative mode, and that was a newer word to me. The fiduciary mode, they essentially said the question typically is either what's wrong or how, does, how much does it cost, whereas the strategic mode is how are we going to fix it, what's the plan, or in some cases it's here's what you need to do, But the third is the generative really means to look at it from multiple multiple perspectives and really asking questions like what is the key question or um, what are we trying to solve as opposed to what we need to do next. And so there was a whole bunch of examples that I brought back on that, but the quote that I really liked was, in addition to oversight, a high-functioning board provides insight and foresight. And I thought that was, was was an interesting perspective on our role competency based education workshop and there were lots of those at lots of different times i'm glad i went that was a completely new educational system conversation i think that's one we'll hear more and more and more about and then the last one was uh, around constituent services building a culture of trust i love this quote here and that is the board of education is the window to which the district and community gets to see what's going on within and i just thought That was very, very interesting. Then there was a fascinating discussion about constituent services roles as it relates or compares to that of the role of an elected state official or a federal official and who the constituents are and is the constituent, the voter, is it the patron, is it the student, all the above. So again, fascinating because we have lots of constituents we interact with. Um, One other thing we did, and I think it's very important, we've done it a couple years now, is uh, we intentionally gather with our board peers from Blue Valley and Olathe, and we sit around the table and and share a lunch and really kind of, again, try to share ideas because we're all in this together. So um, that was very intentional to try to bring those folks together as well. I provided each of the board members a handout as well. Um, I laughingly said I asked each board member to prepare two to three minutes. I think we exceeded that, but it was all good stuff. So thank you very much for that update. Any questions that board members have of, of the others that, that sat in on these programs? Dr. Sinclair?
5: Well, I, I don't know. This just struck me. is The the quote you ended with, the board is the window to which the district and community gets to see what's going on within. One of the um, reasons I ran and one of the things I'm looking forward to, that when you think about the board as the window, this meeting is not just what's The board is. The board, I think, is where we're going. is As we're developing district-wide committees, so that the board is working with constituents, um, really working through much of what we're identifying in the strategic plan and moving forward. So that I just wanted to add to that. Thank you all for sharing what you learned. I wish I was able to attend as well, Um, but. I think it's just important to note that when we think about the board being the window, it's not just this meeting, but it's also maybe I think what we're going to be evolving into and really bringing in stakeholders in our community into this process.
0: Okay. Thank you. Anyone else? With that, we'll move through some updates from our various uh, work of the board. And I'm looking at my notes. And SMAC PTA, Reverend Guy.
4: Um, I don't have a new
7: report okay. this time, but I should meet with them again next week. So, I'll we'll have Great. a report. Thank
0: then. you. Mrs. Owsley, any update from our Education Foundation?
7: Um, Wednesday, April 17th at 6 p.m. at Shawnee Mission North, um, Dr. Robert D. Samari is going to be speaking in their Distinguished Leaders Speaker Series, and that is free and open to the public. So, if anyone wants to attend, um, Shawnee Mission North.
0: Great. Thank you. Um, Mrs. Zila. Board of Directors, KASB.
1: Uh, no new report there, thank
5: you.
0: Okay, and then legislative, Ms. Dr. Sinclair.
5: Um, I think of the a couple of the top um, advocacy um, priorities of KASB, again, that aligned with um, Shawnee Mission was the school finance formula, mm-hmm. kind of um, passing a plan Um, was pretty significant in the bipartisan support. I think there were 107 legislators from the House and Senate who agreed to move us towards that. Um, uh, This year really focusing on, I think, is just adding that last component to get us to an adequate level of funding, barring the court's ruling on that, but What I thought was so significant was that the amount of funding was really derived from what those actual costs are. So the way the state agreed to defining adequacy was really thinking about what are those actual costs and what information do we have most recently to help inform that as a state. I think that will play into a very meaningful conversation as we move forward and think about what do we want for our students. Um, what do we want them to achieve? What is our State Board of Education defining as goals and outcomes? And then what's the role and responsibility of the legislature to provide that adequate funding based on those costs? And then it brings us then to the board of how we maximize those resources that we have to achieve our state and district goals. So I think it's really exciting. Um, there were a couple other. I think I m- might creep into Stewart's. Roll though.
0: So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fine. And I, I'll I'll share a thanks as well to not only um, our professionals that are on the ground and and Dr. Atha and Dr. Little who provide us updates, but um, I was very aware of how engaged um, our our overall Shawnee Mission community was. I mean, the amount of advocacy that was taking place, the amount of interaction with our state representatives during these key votes was was pretty impressive. Um, I as all of us have a chance to talk directly with some of our state representatives and they said you've got an engaged community um, they've been all over us and uh, keep it up <laughs> it's, it's never ending but that they, they really appreciate hearing from us and that was very important and I think that helped get a couple of things across the line
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, how about constituent services Mrs. Goodburn
1: Um, No report right now. Okay,
0: thank you. And uh, professional services, Mrs. Zila, any update there? No, new update, thank you. Okay, well, we've got a new line to add to our agenda, and that is um, (coughs) the board policy committee. As we've done over the past couple of meetings, we've uh, established the committee structures, and we approve the structure for our board policy committee. I ask for folks to uh, provide their names forward, and I'd like to present the following three names as the appointments for the board policy committee going forward, Mrs. Goodburn, Dr. Sinclair, and Mrs. Zila. Thank you for the three of you for stepping forward and being a part of that. Um, the congratulations is over, it's time to go to work. Um, <laughs> we've got a couple of things that are right before us. Certainly, um, we're gonna be updating and addressing some food services questions. We've heard in our previous meeting some things that we are looking at, so that'll be something that Dr. Fulton and the staff will be working directly with the committee on to get that ready to begin to discuss um, what we would need to do to update our policy around food services. Secondly, um, the legislature passed, and I think it's still going to the governor's desk, but the changes to when the Board of Educations and school districts across the state have their organizational meetings, and so we'll need to address that one coming up. I think Dr. Fulton leaned to me earlier and said, and there's eight other items he would like this committee to work on. So, uh, again, thank you for serving. And Mrs. Mack.
8: Yeah, point of information. There's some things from public comment that when Mrs. Elib, Reverend Guy and I work together, there are some policy things that need to be tightened up. So what is the best way to do that? Just send a memorandum to the to the three members of the committee?
0: Good question. Um, I think we should route it to Dr. Fulton.
8: Through Dr. Fulton, okay.
0: And then, because that's where a lot of these additional policy things that we were just talking about are going to get routed, but thank you for asking. Uh Anything else around that? Well, we look forward to your work. It's going to be very important. Uh, With that, we move on to uh, item 2.04, and that's public comment. Um, All right. Thank you, Mrs. Wintering. We'll move on to item 3.01, and that is the overview of the middle school and high school ELA, ELA adoption. Dr. Fulton?
6: Yes, and I'm going to have Dr. Hubbard do the introductions here.
5: this on? There we go. I'm just going to be very brief, but I want to take this opportunity to talk just a little bit about um, the curriculum and instruction team, Dr. Darren Dennis and Travis Gatewood. Um Travis. Travis has really led this charge on the ELA adoption and he has done an amazing job and I think you're going to see that through his presentation. So um, we had a very large committee of teachers that gave a lot of time and effort so I want to recognize those teachers that did an amazing job helping us through this process and we had kids involved this time too which was sort of fun. So I'm going to let give Travis the floor and let him take it away.
3: Thank you to the board and Thank you to the district leadership team for your support of this ELA resource adoption. I'm really proud and positive of the work that was done by our ELA resource um, pilot team. Several of the members are in the audience tonight and would like to recognize them. I'm also very proud and positive of the work of the ELA um, teachers this year in general. We've created uh, curriculum maps for grade 7 through 12. We have identified priority standards grade 7 through 12. We've set the stage for a lot of our uh, reading intervention and programs for the next few years, as well as an emphasis on vertical teams going forward. And then tonight, we've brought to you um, a resource adoption on Pearson My Perspectives. So how did we get here? It started back in June when we wrapped up our curriculum maps. Um, At that time, we sent out demo codes to all the ELA teachers. We started our research process at that time as well Um, by giving the teachers the codes they were allowed to test drive and um, try out the, the resource and eventually narrowed our focus down to the McGraw-Hill StudySync prod, uh, product and the Pearson My Perspectives product. That same time, we narrowed down our pilot team to 26 teachers. We were pretty proud about this. We had a fourth of all of our secondary teachers participating. Grades 7 through 12 all represented, um, all 10 buildings represented. Um, Classes from COTAW to Advanced Placement um, classes represented, so we felt very good about our, our pilot team. They were trained in September for the first resource, which was the McGraw-Hill Study Sync resource. They then um, piloted that for the first quarter. Then they were trained on the Pearson My Perspective resource. That was um, piloted during second quarter. And then we met in January for our final recommendation um, meeting. Throughout the process, we had multiple ways to gather feedback. We had an ongoing weekly feedback form through a Google form. That's where they could provide kind of in-the-moment updates and feedback on what was working or not with the resources. It also gave us an opportunity to address questions and problem-solve along the way. Um, We used an Ed Reports rubric as our final summative feedback piece. Teachers um, scored the rubric on both resources and then also provided comments. When we gathered in January, we sat around the table by grade level and collaborated around those rubrics to share the positive and negatives of each um, resource before reaching a final vote. Um, we also used a Google form to gather student feedback, which teachers distributed to the students. I'm going to speak a little bit more to that in just a second, but we gathered feedback from over 1,200 students in the process as well, um, which I was very proud about. And then we took one final definitive vote through a Google form where it was a yes-no for each uh, resource, and I'll share that information here with you um, as well. So from this slide here, we can see that um, we had over 1,200 responses from students um, represented in all grade levels. Um, The student vote was kind of a push, about 50-50 for both resources, but there were a couple extra items at the end that I wanted to share specifically with you tonight. Um, We asked an extra question about whether students preferred to read from a digital or print resource. Um, As you can see in the results there, um, with the 1,200 students, we still had a 53% of a student vote for the print resource. Question two then also asked students whether they preferred to annotate online or on paper for those close reading reading comprehension skills. And as you can see here, 60% of students still preferring um, paper to do that. So that was... Feedback that helped drive our final recommendation, along with all these other factors here, Um, first of all, Ed Reports, which has become kind of the national vetting group for a lot of curricular materials, gave Pearson a perfect score. Um, When we took that final definitive vote amongst the pilot teachers, it was a 21 to 5 vote for the Pearson product. Um, As we just mentioned, the students wanted that balanced approach to print and digital. Um, The text within The Pearson are diverse, they're evidence-based, their standards align. Um, The units also follow these intentional learning progressions that match the Hattie Research, which our Curriculum Instruction and Assessment um, Department has been um, studying this um, semester. We spoke a lot about soft skills and social-emotional character development just a minute ago. Um, There's a lot of self-regulation strategies built in to the units as well um, to teach some of those soft skills plus some collaboration um, protocols for when students are working together which we really liked. For the first time and as long as I can remember being a longtime person in in Shawnee Mission, this gives the ELA teachers an online tool as well to differentiate for interventions and enrichment. Um, That is going to be a powerful tool for us to um, leverage in the classroom and I think another point that was just mentioned from the board one of the other pieces in picking um, Pearson was we had a lot of uh, purchasing capacity with our contract and I think teachers are very excited about growing diversifying making more inclusive modernizing our reading selections so that students see themselves represented in the text and thanks to those snow days was actually kind of a benefit it slowed us down and allowed teachers to make some Um, really intentional and purposeful decisions, and we've had some great vertical team talks around what our literature is going to look like and making sure students see themselves in that literature going forward. I'll speak to these next couple points in just a second, but um, also in kind of the bottom line financial piece, Pearson gave us a great competitive um, bid as well in this process. So we're looking at an eight-year contract with an optional two-year extension, And there you see three novels per license, so we're looking at over 35,000 novels that we're going to be able to pick up and divide amongst our teachers to, again, modernize, diversify, make more inclusive our our literature. Um, It's also going to help us build our instructional capacity um, as a district with the ongoing professional development schedule that will come with this, so we should see a push there. We're also getting a national headliner as part of this with Kelly Gallagher, a big name in the ELA community, who will come in next spring of 2020 and run some PD with our ELA teachers. Um, the IT department liked the fact that uh, Pearson was moving to the Clever rostering platform, which had allowed for better access on and off-site, um, as well as better communication between Pearson products. Um, And then we're also going to be given a dedicated customer success manager to help with the implementation as we go online, which will be a learning curve for our ELA teachers because, um, again, we've been working out of a print resource um, for a lot of time. So for the next steps uh, with your approval we will push quickly to get a uh, PD schedule in place. We want to get as many teachers trained in May as possible so they have the summer to work with the resource and I will provide ongoing optional summer trainings where teachers can collaborate up here um, during the summer. We'll have training during pre-service. We have training planned for the um, SMSD Impact Institute that we're putting together in June. Um, We'll have webinars throughout the PLCs all through next year. But at the end of the day, I mean, this gives us a guaranteed viable core resource for a guaranteed viable curriculum and I think we're really ready to move the work. I think Pearson um, meets a lot of those pieces that we just talked about by giving us a balanced approach to print and digital. Each student will be given a student uh, consumable text that they can write in, take home um, and use as well as the online piece. Um, It meets that issue of equity by diversifying our curriculum and bringing it up to speed. Um, it's going to build our instructional capacity with all the PD that's coming with the program. Um, and I think um, it has some of those social emotional character development um, protocols built into the unit design as well. So, again, we thank you so very much. Um, in general, just this year, I just want to say how proud I am of being in the, in the Shawnee Mission School District. I've served on the Cornerstone Committee this year, the steering committee, and then my role as curriculum coordinator. I see all the pieces coming together and feel really good about our direction and momentum. So thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Uh, Questions about this item? It is something that we're gonna seek action on later under agenda item 5.02, but uh, while we have the folks here, any questions? Yes, Reverend Guy.
4: Just out of curiosity, um, so 21 teachers voted for this. What were
3: some of the concerns of the five that, that didn't vote for this? Some, on the study StudySync, I think their online component students like that just a little bit more. Um, I think there were a few progressive teachers that really liked that online piece. I think the bulk of the group, though, liked that that balanced approach um, for both print and digital.
0: Other questions? Yes, Doctor Sinclair.
5: Um, could you, thank you for the presentation. Yes. Um, could you speak to the duration of the contract? Why eight years? You know, for most, contracts seems like a long time. So can you maybe speak to that a little bit? Or is that typical? Is that what? Anyways, thank you.
6: Seven to eight years is fairly typical. And especially with the consumable and with the online component,
0: updates will happen along the way as well. So um, this gives us the option, you know, to go a longer period of time or to to stop a date. But that's a fairly typical number. Other questions? All right. Thank you very much for the presentation. Thank you again. Appreciate, Appreciate it. Sure. And we'll move on to item 3.02, which is an enrollment update. Dr. Fulton.
6: Yes, and Dr. Sumner is going to come forward and provide us with a little bit of a, what it might be a helpful overview of where we've been as a district with, uh, in, uh, in district enrollment, and particularly the class sizes, where we're at, and he'll provide some great <clears throat> insight for us on that.
2: Okay. Members of the board, good evening appreciate this opportunity to share some general information with you about our our progress with our staffing model. Uh, I'd also like to share appreciation for Dr. Schumacher and Dr. Sig, not simply for being here this evening to help me out if and when I may struggle, uh, but more so for the massive amount of work they contribute to this process. Certainly staffing is a multi-department initiative or endeavor, uh, but Mike and Lachelle do a fantastic job every week uh, staying on top of the numbers and the shifts and the formulas that we're putting into place, so thanks to them. Uh, moving on with the process, I think probably the best approach for us to take tonight, maybe before we take a step forward and look at current standings for the, for the model that we have in place, that maybe we take a step back because I know there's been some discussions about the evolution of staffing guidelines, so I wanted to share with you knowing some of you may be more familiar with these than others, the staffing guidelines that were in place with the district prior to 2015 when the new guidelines were put into place, these then for you are the retired staffing guidelines that were used again uh, up until the fall of 2015. So beginning in the spring of 2015, uh, we were recruiting and hiring staff based on the new model that we'll look at this evening. Interestingly, if you were to... We did this just for a point of comparison. If you were to reapply this staffing guideline, these staffing guidelines, to the current 2019-2020 projections, uh, you can find that there's a significant difference in the result that is achieved or necessary for the district to achieve. Uh, If you were to go back to these guidelines, we would actually be reducing 67 existing classroom sections uh, for reduction in staffing costs of $4.9 million. So I think... I think there's a worthy uh, acknowledgement here of some growth and, and value in the fact that the model that we now staff under um, pays a little greater attention to the classroom size initiative that's become so important in the minds of our staff, our families, and certainly that benefit our students. Uh, these are the new staffing guidelines that were adopted in 2015. Uh, the, this is the model that we staff to exclusively um, <coughs> Everything within this table drives the staffing at the elementary level. And as we discussed in January, it is a a very complex and specific model that we follow. This is simplifying it to a significant degree, but what we would tell you right now, based on enrollment numbers today, and we talked in January again about the shifts that occur weekly from the time we launched this model in January until students arrive in August. Right now we have With the application of these guidelines, we have 26 sections of the 687 K-6 through sections that exist in our district. We have 26 that are on our watch list. And we talked a little bit a few months ago about what that watch list is, but this is what the watch list is defined as right now. Any section, K-2, right now that has more than 23 students but does not exceed the cap of 24 goes on the watch list. Any section in grades 3 through 6 with more than 26 students but not um, going beyond the cap of 27 is on the watch list. These are classrooms. We're watching every section every week with fluctuations, new information on enrollment. Uh, But these are the sections that we are watching most specifically for the opportunity or the need to adjust their staffing allocations. Um, Right now, if you were to – people say, well, if they're that close – why don't you just hire somebody today? And the first answer is because these numbers will change and change and change. Um, so we can't overreact to the figures that we see today. We, we watch them like a hawk. We make team decisions between the ILEAD team, the HR team, and the building principal. Uh, and we determine when it is best then to begin looking and then to ultimately hire new staff. If we were to make a move on the 26 sections that were on the watch list right now, we would be spending just under $2 million. And and the investment of $2 million is not the challenge. I, I hope we've been very clear about that, especially in our conversation in January. The challenge is not the investment in additional staff. The challenge is doing it at the right time because probably half of the schools or half of the sections that are within the watch list now won't be three weeks from now, but they'll be replaced by somebody else. So you can see the focus that has to be on this and the the very intentional work that has to be done between departments and with the principals to know when we zero in and when we make those decisions. Um, We use a lot of uh, data that's been collected, trend data that's been collected over time to know when a school is probably more stable with their enrollment and when there's likely going to continue to be shifts. Uh, So we apply all of that information to making those decisions. But the bottom line is once, once we exceed those... Once we exceed those guidelines, the process for looking to add somebody begins. So I just wanted to bring them up one more time and then answer any questions you may have. Again, it is, it is early in the staffing process uh, because staffing, we talked in January, staffing begins in December and it ends in August. And, and that's, that's really the way it is now. Uh, we will be working these numbers, we will be working this process well into July and hopefully not very much into august but but every year an anomaly occurs something occurs that uh, the trends didn't point to or nobody could predict uh, but we're as responsive in august as we are in april happy to answer any questions you have
0: questions from board members mrs Zila.
1: i would think that at the year the kindergarten numbers must just throw you into a tizzy i mean because kids walk in the first day and go, what? I had to re- register and sure. let you know I was coming. So how big of an influx is that? Or do you have teachers in reserve to kind of figure out how
2: sure. to K- Kindergarten, how to of course, is the most difficult to project. So our, our current model basically is to use the existing kindergarten enrollment and build from there. It is the one that we watch most closely. It is the one that we count on principals to gather local data most effectively through kindergarten roundup and other activities like that. Um, we, we send constant messages out to communities asking them if you haven't enrolled, if you haven't pre-enrolled, please do so now. The, the more probably kindergarten by far evolves the most over time. But we do, we, we, we have an early hiring system that you're all familiar with. Now that, that pool of candidates um, evaporates fairly quickly once we get into the spring and start placing people. Uh, but again as we watch these numbers it doesn't take a section to exceed capacity with regard to the staffing guidelines for us to begin a search throughout june and july we are interviewing staff just in case and it's really not just in case it's just in time because we know we're going to have to add sections through june july and even august so we don't stop interviewing in fact because we want to know what's available to us because that's part of the decision Uh, You want to make sure when you do add staff, you're adding the right staff. Standards should be the same in August and July as they are in February, March, and April when we hire. And so the interview process, the the assessment of available candidates doesn't end. In fact, it picks up in June and July because we know we're getting to a period where we have less time to react to changes in the staffing model. Ms. Sounsley. Are
1: you all done? No, go ahead. I just 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 really had one other comment, and that was... Thank you for recruiting in December. There was a time not so many years ago that we waited until May, you know, to all the retirements and everything we figured out. And now, yeah, and we were missing some incredible people that were swept up from student teaching or even before they had graduated or whatever. So thank you, because I think we're getting some of the best and brightest as far as our, our new teaching staff. So thank you for that. Well, That I, has I really it. added so much. To our, our pool of teachers, especially our new pool.
2: Well, thank you for your kind remarks, Mrs. Owsley.
7: Thank you. I I'm curious, is this available somewhere? It's not in the board docs yet. Is that because I've had a couple inquiries from folks, and I would just if it was in the board docs, I'd link and.
6: It will send be. To them. It will be added in. Okay, great. Um, we were finishing it up today, but we'll make sure it's in public view.
7: Great, and then um, I have. Two follow-up questions. One is I think that there's like a misnomer right now that staffing decisions are based off of folks in the building requesting additional staff, but the staffing decisions are based off of these numbers. So whether or not you have a principal clamoring for additional staff is not necessarily the issue when a staff person is placed in a building. It's actually what are the enrollment numbers That's where the decision is made.
2: Everything is driven by the guidelines and and enrollment. And and within those guidelines, we have tried to uh, apply consideration to a number of different factors, from um, uh, high level needs of a particular cohort of students to everything else. We've tried to roll into the consideration process through the design of these guidelines. So principals know that they advocate for additional staff as those enrollment figures align with the guidelines. And, and it, it creates an equitable format for staffing. Uh, it's not the squeaky wheel, gets the most attention type issue. It is, it is much more objective because of the guidelines.
7: And then um, my final follow-up question, in some of our programs, we have kiddos who are in a designated classroom for services that are outside general education needs, mm-hmm. but those students are also integrated into a general ed classroom um because that's everyone has a right to the least restrictive environment. Absolutely. But the head count for the kiddos in the um, special education or whatever the outside education that's where that head is counted. So is that is that still the case where you if you're in enro- say you're enrolled in like a special speech class and so your head is counted in that speech class? Right. Is your head then counted in the general education yes. cost? It, it is now counted it, you, you in the general sh- education
2: be, class? You should be um, recognized in both settings. So, and, and so especially at the elementary level where we have much more of, a, of an on-site management of our section size and who's there, um, it's, it's not uncommon at all for us to make sure that students who spend maybe less than half time in that gen ed setting are still... Are,
7: but they are counted Still
2: represented in the, in the count, absolutely. Doctor. So that's, that's where the, the objectivity becomes a little more local in, in nature in that we count on our principals who do a great job of recognizing those circumstances. And so when we send out initial projections, sometimes you're right, sometimes that doesn't hit, but our principals provide immediate feedback when this model is first given. The first thing we say to principals is, okay, tear this up, tell us where we've omitted something, tell, tell us where our numbers are off base, And the principal says, Hey, you've got me projected for 80, you know, 80 fourth graders next year, and right now I have 87 third graders. And Mm -hmm. so we go back and we shift uh, the formula that was used to project those numbers and we we kind of uh, include this current reality adjustment to it. Principal says, Hey, that's true. I have this many full time students in that section, but I have three three students that spend time in this class and need to be, you know, accounted for as well. That's right.
7: So that is. not always been the case and so that is actually that's an improvement because one of the reasons I got involved in public education advocacy was because my daughter's class was um, at the maximum limit but then we also had kiddos in the class who joined for general education purposes which put us over the limit but at the time finances did not allow for that accounting so that's Good news.
2: Yeah, we, we, we would want to make sure that we work with principals to determine who's where and how, how often they are there because those, those figures should absolutely be um, part of the consideration process for these guidelines. Uh, if we have someone whose services are so light uh, that they are, they are in for a, a very small fraction of the time and we are otherwise within guidelines. Um, one student under that circumstances, I don't want to mislead you, mm-hmm. would not necessarily roll us to an additional staff member, mm-hmm. uh, but certainly if the time spent in that class and the, and the, the number of students having a similar experience with such, uh, the principal would certainly be in a position to build the case to say, hey, this, this should be considered as uh, us going beyond the guidelines.
7: Thank you.
0: Yeah. Yes, uh, Mrs. Goodburn, then Mrs. Mack.
1: Um, Thank you for this um, sure. for your presentation. Um, how about middle school and high school? Sure.
2: So,
8: okay, is my question too. <laughs> so, so, I know it
1: changes a little bit because it now it's based on enrollment, and the students all enrolled in January, February yep. timeframe, somewhere in there. So, can you?
2: So, a, a similar that? process in that prior to 2017, we did not have a, a targeted set of staffing guidelines. And uh, Dr. Schumacher, uh, with the assistance of Dr. Gilhouse, uh, really initiated a process that was a significant shift from what we used to call the sit-and-debate for additional staff process. It was, it was the squeaky wheel got the attention, and, and staff was allocated in a, a fairly non-standardized form. It, it seemed to work, but it wasn't as clean and certainly wasn't as objective as the process that's in place now. So, we've established a a benchmark for section size, uh, class, sorry, not section size, but class size and class ratios that we are transitioning to more slowly at the high school because things were uh, fairly out of uh, coordination with that type of model. So, rather than going to a school and saying, hey, we've got this new model in place, and for you to be compliant with it, we need to take nine FTE from you this year. Uh, that wouldn't have been good for anybody. So we have tried to hold people harmless as we adjust to these standards. Right now you would find at the middle school and high school level that our our class student-to-teacher ratios are anywhere from 21 uh, to 25 uh, across the middle school, which we think blend nicely with the uh, philosophy that we're trying to achieve K through 12. Uh, The exception to that would be a program like Horizons where uh, the ratio is closer to uh, 1 to 16. So... But becoming more standardized at the secondary level by far than we've ever been, and, and doing so in a very positive way, I believe.
1: And th- at this time, are you, are you all really more concerned with, like, retirements that happen throughout? And, like, maybe a special teacher at a high school who's teaching a special class and trying to replace that person? Is that kind of where you're, I mean, I know you're busy with the staffing and everything at the high schools too, but is that a
8: concern, a concern or
2: Well, I, watch? I, w- I would share this. Every, every week that passes now, uh, being in April. Uh, it becomes more challenging, right? It's, it's, it's like anything else. Um, the longer we go, we, we live in a very competitive market for recruiting in Johnson County. A lot of wonderful school districts on both the Kansas and Missouri side, all of whom want to hire the same people. So the more time that passes, the greater likelihood there is that the folks that you were seeking have found a position somewhere. So we want to hire as early as possible, so the earlier we get notice on anybody who's leaving, whether you're a phenomenal third grade teacher or a physics teacher at the high school level, the sooner we know, uh, the better we can prepare and find a suitable uh, replacement for that position. Um, April, we still feel good. Um, May, still confident. June and July get scary. And August is a challenge. Um, because when you look at the number of teacher ed candidates that are being produced in our region and you align that with the number of large school districts in the metropolitan area, the supply and demand does not work out. And the number of transfer existing experienced teachers that leave one home district to go to another is also very small. If you're doing a wonderful job someplace, chances are that district is smart enough to take care of you. So leaving becomes more challenging for folks because they're comfortable, they feel good about where they're at. And so that, that market is not super strong either, And especially as you get later in spring and in the summer. Um, so, you know, we love to hire in December and January. February is great. Uh, but April, May, and June, um, you're, you're, you're working
0: hard. Mrs. Mack.
8: Yeah, I just want to follow up on the secondary um, staffing situation. Um, in 2015, when we had the retired staffing guidelines, that was interesting to me that you um, had a number of 1.9 million if we, the, the difference in what we've had to spend now.
2: Mm. 4.9, I believe. Was it 4.9? Mm-hmm. What was it, 4.9? That
8: was 4. okay. 7. Because we really, we have now put more emphasis, and this is my observation from being on the board, is that we um, really targeted lower staffing guidelines in the elementary schools. We also took um, the families no longer pay fees in the elementary schools. We put a lot of resources into our elementaries. And and, um, the philosophy is you really build education at the earlier years, and you will reap the benefits in secondary. But we also noticed the trend in secondary that our teachers went from five hours, from six hours of teaching... Um, no, I'm sorry, went from five hours to six hours of teaching with only one plan. And I'm wondering, um, as we go forward, I know that we have a wish list of, you know, social workers, counselors, etc. We've also seen numbers in the past of going down from six hours down to five. Um, I bring this up not to put you on the spot, Dr. Sumner. Please understand that. Um, but looking at it as a whole in the secondary um, because staffing guidelines really changed in the secondary and we kept the fees the same for the students and their families as well in middle and high school so i think as the conversation goes forward i would like to see some of that addressed and i would really um, love for dr sumner to come back and talk more about secondary staffing guidelines um, and some of those numbers um,
6: as we go forward, is that fair? Yeah, we can certainly do that. Um, and this is a great conversation because when you think about that five million dollars uh-huh. that was committed to lowering elementary class sizes, that happens every year. And so you do have this this uh, you know you compete for resources, right? We we heard about a curriculum adoption and uh, or. Curriculum resource, really. It's not curriculum. It's the resource adoption. And we've really cut way back on what we allocate for that in ways that probably is not the best. But you can't do it all. And that's the ongoing challenge we're going to face, is as we begin to think about what we want to prioritize in our funding, um, what are those things that research would suggest are going to make the biggest difference and so that's that's going to be an ongoing challenge for years to come.
2: Now, the, the two primary discussion points that you have with secondary staffing is is the reduction of teaching six sections to five, and at the middle level to have both the individual and the team plan, which is mm-hmm. which is accomplished in, in some school districts. So right now, when I mention the the average section size or class size at the high school and middle school level being pretty much between twenty-one and twenty-five. To accomplish either of those you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice on whether you're willing to increase that average class size to absorb the additional staff you now have to add to reduce the teaching load at both buildings, or if you're going to almost double your expenses by keeping your staff, your your class sizes within that same range, but now reducing the number of sections each staff member teaches. So the expense, the expense can be much greater than one might initially anticipate depending on whether or not you're willing to increase class size within that new model or whether you want to keep it at the standard you're trying to achieve right now. So obviously we can run figures uh, in that direction, uh, but there are two two considerations with both of those maneuvers that have to be considered.
8: And I would add also that there are some high schools that have different programs. And so what Mrs. Owsley was saying earlier about how you have kids that may have different needs and they're all in the same classroom, you have to look at that
2: as well. No question.
0: Mrs. Ela.
8: I have kind of a tangential question for you.
1: Um, we're talking about recruitment, you know, that we're starting early in December, much earlier than we used to. And I know, I, I don't know if people think you sit in your office and you wait for candidates to come to you. I know you are out there recruiting heavily. And there's been the question, you know, floating around that we don't have the diversity amongst mm-hmm. our staff that we would like to have. Sure. In Des Moines, you know, they were saying the same thing that yeah. Laura heard in, in at NSBA. But I know you are trying so hard to get more diverse Teaching staff on board here in Shiny Mission. I just want to kind of open that up to well, give you some. Well,
2: I appreciate you acknowledging that. It's absolutely a priority within our department and within the school district. We want our professional staff to reflect the kiddos we serve, and and it's difficult. And you guys know this. That you know the the applications that we receive less than two percent reflect minority applicants. It's it's a, profe- it's a problem within our profession and it is a challenge that is experienced by, by all Kansas school districts and, and on the Missouri side as well. We have, we have initiated new um, opportunities to try to build relationships. We have had a, both a fall and recruiting trip to the southeast part of the country uh, in Alabama, Mississippi. We've been to Alcorn State, Auburn, Alabama, um, Delta State. Help me out guys. Southern Mississippi, Mississippi State, Alabama State, we're trying to build, and, and this is the thing, we can't just show up and say, hello, we're Shawnee Mission, we'd like to take as many of your minority candidates as we can. <laughs> that, that, that's not going to play well. We're, we're focused on building relationships with the the leaders of the schools of education at these universities to help educate them about who we are as a school district, what our goals and challenges are, how we see them as being a partner in possibly addressing some of those. And and then slowly over time getting to know their students. We don't just want to show up at career day and student teacher interview day. We want to we want to come out and speak to their students. We want to talk to them about our communities. We want them to understand what we look like and who we are here and and just like we recruit local talent, we want to recruit them and show them the benefits of coming here and working within our system. Um, This year was our first year in the fall and spring to accomplish that, and I think the results have been fantastic from a relationship building standpoint. There are not busloads of students coming from Mississippi and Alabama to come teach in Shawnee Mission this year, but we have their attention. Uh, It's a start. We've started connecting with them, and we think over time this is a strategy that may pay dividends. So uh, we're trying, and, and effort enough. Effort alone is not enough. I understand that. Uh, we are a results-oriented team, and we hope that we'll be able to accomplish that over the course of the next few years.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Yes, Dr. Sinclair. Um,
5: can I take us back to the elementary staffing guidelines? Yes, ma'am. Um, can you speak to the, um, our title schools mm-hmm. and the staffing guidelines in our title schools? Is there a priority there in trying to keep those classrooms on the low size? How do we, are there models around, and again, I'm putting you on the spot.
2: So, no, no, no. I, I, I should be on the spot. This, this is what we do. So yeah. honestly, the, the, the answer to that right now is though we have discussed that because some of us have experience with doing just what you're um, referencing in, in other places. Right now, uh, as, I, as I tried to say, probably not very well earlier, all of the consideration mm-hmm. um, that we have for Title I or students with uh, pressing needs is rolled into these guidelines. So, um, if a principal came to us, you know, and, and they had all three sections in third grade were at capacity, that's not an add yet. And typically, if you have three sections, we want at least half or more to be over by one before we add. Um, but if a t- if a principal came to us and said, "Hey, listen," um, you know, we're struggling in this way from an ELL perspective, a title perspective, uh, a special needs population perspective. Uh, that's a conversation we have outside of the typical or norm response. So we certainly want to be open to those discussions. But the, the, the general answer to your question is even, even those factors are typically built in to the guidelines the way they are. I, I don't know that that's the way it will be moving forward, but the, the, the honest answer right now is that's the way we operate.
5: Yeah. I, I, that would be something I'd been interested in learning more about your thoughts and discussions about.
2: Certainly.
6: About we, can, uh, we can certainly bring it to a future board meeting, to talk about secondary. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to uh, uh, thank uh, Dr. Sumner and his team for what they do. Mm-hmm. It's always difficult, particularly when it's your child and you're sitting at the top of that ratio. Uh, you're thinking, you know, there are a lot of needs in this class and it would be great if we could add another teacher. We understand that. But it's critical that you work within this ratio system because otherwise you really run into some pretty significant cost issues. And this is the equity piece. It's not about who can advocate better than... An, one, one principal advocating better than another principal. It's our job to make sure that we're equitably, equitably staffing classrooms. And again, I think just going from the previous guidelines to these guys, guidelines and making that $5 million commitment every year that's you know kudos to the board and the community for doing that
0: anyone else thank you very informative update thank you for your time this brings us to the consent agenda uh this is the uh consent agenda listed under 4.0 and 4.1 rather and first i'll see if any board members would like to pull anything off for individual consideration from the consent agenda tonight being none
1: I would move approval of the consent agenda. Second.
0: Thank you, Mrs. Zila. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Any additional questions? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. Uh, we move on to item 5, which is our action items. And the first one is five, item 5.01. Dr. Fulton, any updates before we seek a motion to approve this one? No. Board members, would you like to move a motion to approve the item in under
8: 5.01? Move approval.
0: Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Mack. Any additional questions on the item? Seeing none, all those in favor, please say
8: aye. Aye.
4: aye.
0: All those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. The next is item 5.02, and this is the ELA instruction resource that uh, we had the presentation on earlier. I'll seek a motion. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Zila second. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Any additional follow-up questions? Yes, Mrs. Mack.
8: I don't have a follow-up question, but I I do have a comment that I would like to make. um, And I know everybody agrees with me. Mr. Gatewood, that was an incredible presentation. You really did a terrific job. Dr. Dennis, thank you. We really know what we're voting on. And more than that, I wanted to point out, you talked about the additional training that teachers have to do over the summer um, sometimes we don't think about teachers in that manner and they do work all year long. And I just wanted to point that out and also all the teachers that helped with the pilot programming. Teachers do a lot of extra work that we don't really give them a nod very often and I wanted to point that out because you said that during your presentation. And again, thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Uh, all those in favor of the motion, please say aye. 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 Those against, nay. That passes 7-0. On to item 5.03, and this is the approval of construction contracts. Dr. Fulton.
6: Um, Dr. Atha is available to respond to any questions that you may have on this item. Do
0: you have any questions about the proposal regarding the uh, flex theater at South? Move approval. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Owsley. All those in favor, please say aye.
7: Aye. Aye.
0: Those opposed, nay. Pass 7-0. Thank you. Uh, this moves us on to board comments tonight. I'll turn to the board to see if they have any comments that they'd like to share as we wrap up the meeting here. Yes, Mrs. Mack. Was that a stretch or your hand up? That was
8: not a stretch, although I'm freezing out okay. here. Yes.
0: Um,
8: uh, Dr. Fulton and I um, attended the open house at the Career Technical Center the other evening, and it was a great evening. It was so fun to um, listen to the kids, how passionate they were about... Uh, fire protection police training and EMS training and it was it was really a great evening especially talking with the students there um, also uh, we have a Ray Marsh student who won the all- around gymnastics competition in the state of Missouri she trains there and I wanted to give a shout out to Tessa Brocker We have students involved in so many different activities she actually won the state um, so I, I was really proud of her. Um, I was at Broken Arrow today and I wanted to make sure that our editor of our North newspaper saw first of all thank you and thank you to South for giving us your newspapers their high schools we would love to see them but when I was at Broken Arrow today I want you all to know that our elementary schools have their own newspapers too so the influence that you have on younger students is amazing and um, I just I just think it's wonderful um, to have student journalists that young. Um, with that in mind, I wanted to let everybody know that there's also a TEDx Youth at KC event this Saturday. Some of our Shawnee Mission graduates are involved in presenting this. It is going to be at the Plexpod Westport Commons Medallion Theater on 39th Street. The doors open at noon. Um, it's going to be um, a It's going to be ideas worth spreading for youth and adults alike. I'm sure many of you are familiar with TED Talks. These are more youth-oriented. They're going to have um, everything from Make Today Count, Out of Darkness, um, Brandy Bonner, Adam Avon. All these different people are going to be there, and it's going to be this Saturday afternoon. Um, And I think that's it. I just wanted to promote that. And Wednesday night, um, I hope to see a lot of people out at the wellness seminar at um, Shawnee Mission
0: Northwest. Great. Thank you. Other board members? Yes, Mrs. Owsley.
7: So with regards to the passage of the education funding bill, I know there's a significant amount of relief from a lot of folks. One, because it looks like this may be the first year since 2010, next academic year, that we'll have a constitutional level of funding. So if you had a child who started their education career in 2010, they have not yet been educated um, in a system that was constitutionally funded in the state of Kansas. Um, And when we talk about systems, when you have that sort of critical neglect of a system, no matter how excellent it is, you're going to feel the weight of that, and there will be consequences from it. So I think it's really a phenomenal moment to think about having adequate funding. (laughs) Um, But also keep in mind, in 2008 and 2009, the per-pupil funding was $4,400 a student, and what we're looking at for next year that's constitutional, hopefully if the court decides that it is, is still only $4,165 per student. So while we're definitely making strides, there's a lot to keep in mind with regards to context and perspective. And where we could still potentially go Um, but definitely savoring the moment and what that means for what we're able to do for students and for our educators in our community Um, and so thank you to all of the legislators who supported this and who supported our schools it's very much appreciated
0: thank you dr. Sinclair
5: Um, I have just three quick comments Um, I'll start with the school finance and add on to um, Mrs. Um, is Owsley's comments and that um, <clears throat> the again I want to thank our area legislators and those across the state who voted to support the school finance conference committee um, which was really supported by the State Board of Education's recommendation and, and the governor's plan so we are moving back into a place not only that is um, closer that is based on previous the last time we were previously funded at a constitutionally adequate and equitable level. Um, uh, but um, uh, looking for looking forward to a kind of new conversations around school finance. And I kind of mentioned that prior, uh, previously, of really thinking about what is it we want for our students and what are those costs and coming together as a community to see if that's um, those outcomes are what we're looking for, and then um, looking back to the legislature and part of their performance audits that's baked into the school finance formula that will actually estimate those costs. So I think that's really important to note that that's in there. Um, and to move forward with maybe um, a conversation about what is meaningful accountability. How do we inform those decisions that we're making um, at the state level and at the school level? So I think that's another big conversation that Kansas will be having, and uh, I hope Shawnee Mission can be a leader in that conversation as well. Um, There were two other pieces of legislation I think that we need to do a shout out for our area legislators is supporting the, the tax policy that goes with with funding the education bill, and then a new set of election laws that are um, moving us back towards uh, a place in which voting is more accessible so that you can vote at any voting site, any, any um, polling place. So we, we made some advancements there. That's another piece to acknowledge and thank our legislators again for supporting that. Um, I did have on here just another shout out for the um, uh, the Department of Family and Student Services putting on the spotlight on student wellness on Wednesday night. That starts at 5. And then, one last piece, I wanted to uh, give a shout out to the Shawnee Mission East um, PTSA. This is a great example of communities working together with the resources they have. And the PTSA launched what's called the Lunchtime Career Chats. And they bring in people from the community over the lunch hour, kind of almost on a weekly basis. And students are free to come and listen to um, any of those, in, uh, to that particular speaker for the week to learn about their career, ask questions, um, just get ideas about what might be possible for the future. So again, a big shout out to the East PTSA for um, creating those opportunities and for those volunteers who come in and share their lunch hour and talk about their um, profession and how they got there and where they're going. So
0: thanks. Thank you. Other board members? A couple of last things to wrap up. First of all, I saw some students join us during the meeting. So I'll have to ask, did you think it started at 7? Yeah? Should we give them credit for attending? Oh, yeah. Okay, maybe we'll have them watch it on YouTube or something, right? Where, what schools are you from? Okay. That's a really good excuse. I like that. Everyone else? All from north? Any other students from other schools? Well, if you need anything signed, Dr. Fulton will be up here to, to sign something as well at the end to acknowledge your attendance today, And I guess we'll let it go that you got here a little later. Uh, one other thing is I'd like to, to turn to my board for a second and extend an apology. Um, last week, last meeting, rather, I stepped out the standards of, of protocol, and I wanted to say, I'm, I'm sorry that uh, I took it upon myself to engage a patron that I turned to and also apologize, that, in fact, that was outside our standard of protocol. Um, I engaged in a conversation that was not anticipated and that wasn't fair. And so for that, I apologize. I look forward to an engaged conversation going forward and I appreciate the opportunity that you've extended me to have that conversation going forward. You voted to me to be the president of this board and I don't want to do anything to jeopardize the trust that you put in me. And I felt after reflection that I did not hold myself to that standard. So for that, I apologize. With that, our next meeting is April 22nd. Thank you for being here, and uh, we have a motion for executive session.
7: I move we go into executive session to discuss litigation with our legal counsel pursuant to the exception for matters which would be deemed privilege in the attorney-client relationship under COMA, and the board will reconvene in the boardroom. We're taking a five-minute break and then 15 minutes for executive session, so 20 minutes from now, so that would be 8.05. Is that where we at? So 8.05. Second.
0: Thank you. It's been moved and seconded. All those in favor, please say Aye. aye Aye. those opposed nay that passes seven zero we will uh, be coming back to go into second session again a second time but there will be no business conducted after that with that we are done thank you for being here